Hi, I'm Tracy Ferguson. Hi, I'm Sharita Darcy. And this is Docs That Rock. Um, How are you doing? Good. Hope you're well. Yes. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. So we're here in Galway Bay again. And it's a bit of an overcast day, but actually as I'm looking out on Tracy's garden, I'm just feeling very special. So uh, It's a very Irish weather it's day. proper Irish weather. We're back now to the normal Irish weather, having had um, a heat wave for a couple of weeks that, you know, as a, a pale-skinned person from the west of Ireland, I, I have to say I was a bit melted. Were you a bit melted? No, I loved it. I just got sick of the smell of sunscreen, to be honest with you. But we survived it. Yeah, we got through it to the end, a bit scalded, but sure. And now we're all cold again, so we're very happy. So, well, you're not, obviously. Happy and yeah, miserable <laughs> in the rain. So today what we're going to talk about is Senna. It's a 2010 documentary. It's an hour and 46 minutes long, and it's available on iTunes and on Amazon for um, live streaming and for download. It's directed by this guy called As If... Uh, Car Paddy and I do have to say I probably pronounced that incorrectly and I'm probably going to continue to do that so I'm sorry this guy he's amazing he also directed two episodes of Mindhunter um, but he's most notably known because he won an Oscar for Amy the Amy Winehouse mm. documentary in the process of researching this I kind of looked at a few interviews and apparently when there was a rumour going around that Oliver Stone wanted to make a film about Senna he had these these views that maybe that was a bad idea and Antonio Banderas had actually expressed that he was very interested in playing the part of Senna but Asif decided that the best thing to do was actually to let him speak for himself because he was quite eloquent and they got a lot of found footage and they had interviews with friends and family members and as a result the finished product Senna is not a talking heads documentary when you're taught what to think Senna speaks for himself and you can see He's in her turmoils, his demons and his joys and delights in his face. And it is a beautiful piece of work. Well, it's the kind of movie that I normally would never watch because it's a sporty documentary. And I know absolutely nothing about Formula One racing. So normally this would be something that I would read the description of and then shut off again. But I've seen it twice before we watched, we watched it to talk about it here. And it just keeps getting better and better. It's an amazing documentary. You don't need to know anything about any kind of sport in order to appreciate it. He's absolutely gorgeous. He's like movie star looks, um, charisma. He's also very focused, which is really attractive in anybody. But he's very focused and he's full of integrity and drive, which is the obvious thing to say. But... He's just really charismatic to watch. And as you say, you know, this this documentary doesn't get in its own way with talking heads. It's all shown through footage, especially the footage in the car. When you're in the car, it's like, wow. Tracy, <laughs> honestly, like it makes me want to become a Formula One race car driver. And just like you, I have absolutely no interest in the sport. However, I think our listeners need to know the type of car that you have. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a, a faux um, sporty car, <laughs> but it is, no, it's an MX-5, which if anybody is listening and they're into MX-5s, it's, it's a cool club. Um, they go forever. So I love my MX-5. It's the most selfish car in the world. You can't help anybody move. You can't <laughs> pick up your friend and your daughter and drive them anywhere. So I love it. It's a fantastic car. It's perfect for me. Um, yeah, but it, it does have a great engine and it does sound really cool when you rev it up. And uh, The neighbours love you. They love me. They think you're great. They do think I'm great. But this um, is the kind of car that you could imagine 
that Ayrton Senna would have actually been driving around the place in. I could squire him about town in that car. You'd find places I to put him. I would find places for him. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say, I don't want to become a Formula One race car driver, but I did Google all about Monaco during the Grand Prix, mm. and I really want to go there. Yeah. So there's one hotel. Wait a minute, because I got the name of it. Oh. I did my research. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, it's the Fairmont Hotel. And are we booked in? We're, we are. It's only 25k for three nights. Oh, sure, yeah. And Lads, if you want to donate now, <laughs> set up one of them. Fund, but, go fund the page. <laughs> the best thing, there are two great things about it. You're within, walk, well, three, you're in walking distance of the track. You can book for 25k, you get a balcony view room overlooking the track. Wow. And then when you go to your rooftop bar, garden, pool area with the other guests, you can also see the track from up there. So it's... um. That's the place to be. That's on my wish list. Oh, you can also get, you can rent a, a 360 Spider, a Ferrari. I'm not going if there's spiders there, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Only joking. Mm, and for the, one, it's like a... The bike, isn't it? I think it's 10 minutes you go around a, a circuit. It, uh, you get into a car and you oh don't need God. to drive shift, so even I could drive it. Oh, no, it sounds great. I don't know if it's um, prestigious enough for me to actually attend, but, um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> can you imagine having that amount of money? Well, I just, um, I'm in my head, I'm in Monaco already. So oh, absolutely. Yeah, I can't imagine it. <laughs> and part of this racetrack, as you're just saying there, takes place, from what I know of it, uh, into the old part of mm-hmm. the city and they're real windy kind of roads. And like yourself, I came to it having no interest at all in Formula One race car driving not and not even go-karting. I'm not particularly interested in any of that kind of stuff. But within the first few minutes, Ayrton Senna, and just... His manner, his demeanor, his humility, and this is a man who's rich, real like place of privilege. Well, he was born into a yeah quite a wealthy family. Yeah, yeah, but it it wasn't something. He wasn't egotistical. Mm. He was very fair. I felt. Yeah, and I mean, he does have, you know, that drive that all great sports men and women have, all champions, where they are. It's not there is an ego involved because they have to win. You know, they're they're out there to win. They're not there to play a fair game and come third you know we have a cat in the background that is demanding to be, to be let out. out no leave him in and go and let him out now so while Tracy is letting him out um, I just talk about Ayrton Senna's and the way he might look at you and I think that this director really does spend a lot of time letting his face speak for itself and in times where he's thinking or he's getting focused, like you said, you can really see it. He's a very expressive face. And actors often talk about where they have to wear masks or they're wearing a costume where only the eyes are seen. And Ayrton Senna has just got that, like he's wearing this helmet that's covering his entire face and you can just see these real determined, focused, I will always be number one eyes. And of course, this is probably the reason why you get so emotionally invested so quickly and early on in this documentary. It, yeah, there there isn't a break. There isn't a moment where you say this is boring and oh no, what's happening next? You can't you can't look away. It's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah, no, it really is. The thing was that he always wanted to win. He wanted to win from the get go, and coming second wasn't good enough. And it's shown the documentary about how he talks about his focus and his drive, and you can see the frustration where he makes mistakes and he has to spend time by himself being critical about his performances and how he can improve and that constant need to be number one to be the world champion and of course 
one of the major features of the documentary would be his relationship with Alan Prost, mm-hmm. who is this French guy. Senna and Prost were teammates on the McLaren team. And Prost had a reputation whereby he would do whatever points were needed. So if that meant coming fifth, he would come fifth to get for the team to move forward. So he was very precise and would achieve what he needed to achieve, didn't always have to win. And at one point, they're having a discussion and Prost goes, do you think it's possible for us to be equal? And Senna says, no. Senna always wanted to be first. So, of course, there's a, a huge rivalry there because you've got an experienced yeah, driver. Um, Prost, I mean... Yeah, no, yeah, he calls him on that. Yeah. Yeah, he calls him on that. There was a huge rivalry that started there, came to a head in the documentary. Rather than ruin it or go into the details of it, they I were constantly... We Do you want to? <laughs> yeah. Okay. And people have watched it already. Um, and it, it's a lot of it is is public record anyway, all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they do, you yeah, know, I mean, they crash. They crash each other. It's hard to know who's doing what, isn't it? Um, the director believes that Prost crashed into Senna. He kind of admits that he did later. Yeah. So he actually did. And when you think about two people crashing, driving side by side, they're at such high speeds. Yeah. And the other thing was that because Senna had a go-kart background and there is touching allowed, like the carts are allowed to touch in go-karting, he was viewed as being a very unsafe driver because he'd make take risks and make decisions that wouldn't the other drivers wouldn't necessarily take. Alain comes out to allow him enough space to pass, mm. waits for him to take the space and Senna actually says it. he knows me well enough I have to get into that space I'm going to try and uh, overtake and then he waited for him to overtake and then he hit him and hit against mm-hmm. him yeah the crash itself wasn't the big deal the big deal was that after the crash Senna didn't turn around and come back out to the race he didn't drive against the race so he'd start off in the position that he was in when the crash occurred he drove back into the race through an exit route so he kind of weaves his way out of these set of tyres and continues to race and ultimately wins the race but as this is happening Prost runs across the racetrack up to the steward's office and basically says that shouldn't be allowed to happen and this starts a rivalry which goes on for years and years and years. And of course, they love it. And as it happens, the ratings for Formula One driving is going through the roof. And everyone's like, Senna versus Prost. And, you know. Mm. Yeah, no, I've got a lot of people interested in it who normally wouldn't have been. But the ruling came in that he should have gone back onto the track another way. He didn't go on correctly. So technically, he hadn't covered the exact distance of the race. Mm-hmm. I think that was what it came down to, exactly. regulations. So they ruled in favour of Alain and Senna was out for six months. But later in the documentary, when they're having the, in the Japanese Grand Prix, they're having a driver's meeting and all of the drivers are weighing in on it because their their argument was that it's extremely unsafe to yeah. back out onto a track, not yeah. going slowly. Yeah. So they were, they all stood behind him, I think, on that yeah, and in the driver's meeting. That was really cool to see. Senna then stood up and said, guys, this was really hard for me last year. And he left. But he was constantly known for speaking about safety and fairness in the drivers' meetings. Yeah, so that that was very interesting because you get really dragged into the whole politics of it. He speaks very often about go-kart racing was much simpler. It was pure driving. There was none of this politics going on. There was none of these, it's not in the regulations. The guy who is in charge of the Formula One Racing Authority, his name is... Jean-Marie Batest 
and he is the biggest nemesis towards Senna and he says other oh, drivers are looking at you and they think that you're the example to follow and that is stupid he goes and it's very like there's no holds barred these two men do not like each other well he you know he treated all the drivers very badly mm-hmm. do you remember in that press conference or in that drivers meeting rather he said he said yes. the only right decision is my decision yeah and this is with all of these extremely highly trained drivers telling him that he's making the wrong decision. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he, he just always had that attitude with all of them, I think. It's just that it came to a head with Senna. Yeah. And then because he was also quite pally with Alain Prost. Yeah. That that was quite evident. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in that particular meeting that you're talking about, he is claiming that the tyres have to be in the escape routes coming out of the race tracks. And Senna is saying, no, it's written in the regulation here. It's not safe. I think they should be cones. So this was kind of going back and forth and back and forth. And then he says, yes, uh, the only decision is my decision. That's the right decision. So he goes to a democratic vote of all the drivers, which spectacularly backfires when all the drivers vote alongside Senna for safety, saying, yes, replace the tyres with cones. There's a lot of this kind of stuff going on between the two of them back and forth there had been a bad accident with a French driver and the French driver had been left paralysed from the neck down and this is some of the stuff that the director had to leave on the cutting room floor because there was just so much footage and he had said that Senna had stood up in the driving meetings and said it would be great if we could all donate some money towards a fund for him Somebody had initially suggested 1,000. He said, no, 10,000 each. Because what's 1,000? What's 50,000 going to do for him? Give him a lot of money, 10,000 each. And then whatever we raise can be matched by the Formula One Association from all the fines that we have to pay. John marie said, no, absolutely no way. That's not going to happen. And then subsequently, Senna is fined 50,000 euro. And Jean-Marie says that money will be donated in a fund to the French driver who's been paralysed. And that kind of dynamic is very evident, that kind of like, I suppose really the drama of the Formula One. Senna was constantly trying to get back to how people drive and the ability of the driver is how you have a world champion driver, you know. It became about the team that had the most money to invest in the technology for the vehicles. Well, that makes sense though. It does, yeah. You know, that's how it is. One scene that just, well, a couple of scenes that really got me was the story of... The Brazilian Grand Prix. Mm. That was amazing because he wanted to win it so badly. He'd never won in Brazil. And when he would win any of the other Grand Prix around the world, he would shake the Brazilian flag at the window. Mm. And everybody in Brazil loved it. And, you know, obviously, and we're so behind him. But for him to win, win at home was a huge, a huge thing for him. So he gets in and he's, and you see the footage from inside the car, you can hear the engine. You can see the dangerous turns. You see everything. He really leads. Actually, he leads from the very beginning, as far as I can remember yes. in that one, all the way to the end. And about seven laps out, the gearbox gets jams. stuck in sixth. It gets stuck in, in sixth gear. In sixth gear, the whole around way. the rest of the seven laps, and he still stays in front. Yeah. So it's sheer determination. Yeah. He's just not. He's going to keep going no matter what. And when he does eventually win. He passes out because you hear him screaming in the car. I actually cried at this part mm. of the documentary because Me too. you can hear his voice. And he's like, yes, I don't believe it. Give me the flag. You know, yeah. and you're just like, oh, this man. And as you're so totally reveling in the fact that he has done this and it's so important to him, 
you then see him and you see the footage of him having passed out and all the medics and his good friend, the professor who was a Formula One doctor. Yeah, Sid um, Walker. Yes, yeah. right beside him, um, checking to see if he was okay and what had happened. And he wasn't okay because no. his shoulders had totally seized up. Yeah. Just from the sheer effort of forcing that car yeah. around seven. It's not <laughs> it unbelievable. Yeah. And then uh, he, he kind of, he passes out, they bring him back and then he can't move his shoulders then he's determined, he doesn't stop there, then he's determined to get to his father yes. so that he can hug his father. And he's saying to him, you know, come, come here. And his father said, oh no, because he knows he's in pain. And he said, no, 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 come here. And he gives him a hug. That's fine. And then he keeps going. Oh God. So he goes to pick up the trophy and his signature way of picking it up is to hold it above his head. And he oh, always with would, would then take his bottle of champagne and put, pour it over his head. And he does that. And the amount of pain that yeah, he you must can have see been it. in. Oh, yeah. my God. He's very restricted. And you can see he's holding his shoulders because he's completely jammed up his shoulder muscles. Even out of the car, he has an obligation to his Brazilian fans. He, has, he meets all his media commitments. And several times, the first thing he does is he raises up the Brazilian flag. So before he's even got the trophy, and you can just see him like his lovely little fishing waving the flag, and you're just kind of going, "Oh my god!" It was incredible. It really was an effort. And just to say as well, Brazil was a poor country. They were quite poor at this time. There was an uprising going on. There was riots on the streets. So it was like I'd imagine how you know the the commitment that it takes for the the guys who are involved in the GAA in Ireland. You know that kind of we have an amateur <laughs> sport here in Ireland. Um, that like we too, we've got hurling, we've got football, and it's endless hours, and it's not paid. And but what it means to pay for your county, and what it means to pay for your country, and here's this guy at a time where things were at an all-time low for Brazil, and the whole country is watching to him for hope and for inspiration, and he was not going to let them down. So he he was a hero. He was a hero after this. I don't know if you noticed it, but the you know the pit stop guys, they yeah. started skipping. Like they were literally yeah. jumping for joy and that was really, really sweet, I thought. It was lovely because yeah. they, d- they don't get too excited about anything and they were just so excited. It was really cool. So, and, and I really liked his doctor as well, that Sid Walker. Yeah. He's just a really cool guy. And they had an amazing relationship. But he said it was because of his humility, which yes. you don't see in, in drivers. At this point to the film, what you see is the Williams group starts using some electronic innovations to self-track the car so as it's going around corners every aspect of the car can move and it can kind of it it makes it so that all you do is you sit in the car and you put your foot on the pedal and you steer it every now and then but the car won't topple over it's less likely to spin out you still have to drive really well but it's it's a self-balancing isn't it yeah self-balancing yeah yeah. so it takes a lot of the skill out of it whereas previously driving would have considered how to balance the car going around corners just to say not every single formula one car in this particular season had this technology only williams had it and as a result ayrton senna you know if you really want to have a real world championship with real driving skill then you know the technology needs to be taken out yeah i mean yeah 
it's it's not ferociously interesting to me. It's just because of what happens ultimately, it becomes interesting. And we should say at this point that there is a bit of a spoiler alert. If you haven't seen the documentary, we do recommend that you see it before. You can listen up to this point, but we do recommend that you see it before you continue on and come back to us then. The following season, the drivers are spinning on the corners. Some of the technology is banned and some of the technology isn't. So some cars have certain balancing features and some don't. It's an uneven playing field. Senna at this point was convinced that the Benetton cars did actually retain the electronic balancing. And as a result, he felt that the Williams team, because he is now driving for Williams, he has asked for the Williams team to go forward and complain about this. And they didn't. There are loopholes in anything. Obviously, they found a way around certain loopholes in the legislation or in the regulations. Some cars just had better features than others. Up until this point, you're covering the decades of Ayrton Senna's career. And suddenly, you're zooming into what's happening over a weekend. One driver has a fatal accident. Another driver has a very damaging accident. but And it's actually Senna's teammate. But he walks away from it. He's cuts and bruises on his face. A driver, there hasn't been a fatality in over a decade in Formula One race driving. And over this weekend, there's a lot of these real near miss things happening. And you can visibly see on Senna's face that he is stressed. He's rubbing his fantastic hair. And he's like, you can just see the tension. But they're all strained. Yeah. You know, all the other drivers, the team managers, everybody's is really stressed. And also, it's important to say that all of those accidents happened with all of them watching. Yes. They're right there. The doctor who attends all of those injuries and fatality, he says to Senna, look, we're, we're both kind of good at fishing. Why don't you, we just you quit and we'll just go fishing together? Yeah. And he says, I can't quit. He said, I cannot quit. Yeah. I think he was just unable to quit. So when this amount of obvious danger is there, you can kind of see how he would be so nervous and how he would be under so much pressure and you can see men crying on the side of the road like you know you can see um how everyone there is just terrified and you're watching Senna on the track they didn't know whether he was going to go out on the grid or whether he would drive at all he was so concerned about the safety he had spoken about yeah they all were I think Mm -hmm. all the drivers were but he did and he's at behind the wheel and there's a driver cam and you can again feel taste touch everything you're in the car with him you can hear his voice you can hear that you know this <laughs> formula one race car driving noise and as i'm watching it i'm getting increasingly terrified and it follows him zipping around zoom zoom the track and you could get an appreciation for what that would have taken he yeah, reaches they the use that a lot throughout the whole yeah the whole documentary but it's ne- it never gets boring never it's never old never they, he reaches a corner, you can see the corner ahead of him. That's a simple corner. It's a straightforward it's corner. A really I could take that corner. corner. I, we probably both could take that yeah. corner. We'll do it in your car. A, we'll do it in my car. Zip around. Um, very, very simple corner. And But he's been, he had been given out specifically about and uh, oversteer and understeer. Yeah. The car just was doing whatever it wanted. And he's such an experienced driver. Yeah. But he still, he, he decides to do the race. And he hits this corner and then it all just falls apart. So you see footage of the car smashing into the... And it smashed, didn't it, Tracy? It did, yeah. It, it's really shocking to see because 
you know what's going to happen yeah. and I'm still completely shocked at that it. point in the you're film you're still you hoping can... that maybe it's going to be a different outcome yeah and you know you can <laughs> feel the tension because he's such a good director um, Asif Karpadi that when you actually get to this point you can feel the tension building and you're so stressed and you're you're getting cramps in your own shoulders looking at it but when it actually happens well, you see him sitting in the car first because yeah. the medics aren't allowed to touch him until the doctor gets there mm. So that's quite, it probably is only 60 seconds, but it feels like a very long time mm. because they can't go over to him and they can't touch him in mm. case he's got a neck injury or, you know, whatever. So you're waiting and then you see the doctor arrive. And this is the doctor, his friend, who asked him to retire the previous day. Yes, yeah, Sid Walker. Uh, he's, he's English, isn't he? Yeah. He's English. Yeah. So, yeah, he arrives and uh, they're treating him. They take him out of the car is the first thing. They take off his helmet and they take him out of the car and they lay him down on the ground and then they're working on him. But of course, they're working on him in front of the world's media because you've got all of the TV cameras there. You know, they've got the overhead, you've got the zoom lenses so they can see absolutely everything that's happening. And they try and shield him at one point and then the, the rest is just awful because you see they move him from the ground into the ambulance. So as they're putting him into the ambulance, I thought I hadn't noticed this the last two times I watched it. As they're putting him into the ambulance, the medics are still rushing as if it's an emergency situation because I am sure if we look into this, that's procedure mm-hmm. because they know the cameras are on and the family... Mm-hmm. have not been told so they put him they're putting him into the ambulance and there's just this tiny snippet where the camera pulls back and you see Sid Walker walking slowly toward the ambulance and you just know oh. and it's just heartbreaking he's airlifted away from the track and Sid Walker had said that as they were working on him and he was looking for neurological signs he could see that it was a fatal head injury that's awful isn't it it is shocking and then you know I suppose it's just he's so just so talented he was 34 was he only 34 yeah he was 34 years old it's such a loss to you know the sport to the world you know we talked a little bit about his charity work he did so much work with the poor in Brazil and yeah. poor children in particular but all of it just all of it and he yeah. also he seemed to be I know him personally from this documentary but you know him for seen, an hour <laughs> and 45 minutes yeah, or whatever Ayrton, it is yes Ayrton, uh, Ayrton and I um, he seemed to really love and enjoy life as well he wasn't one of those people who lived he, he just was totally focused on his career and then didn't have a personality outside of that which you see sometimes you know, in, in spirit, particularly in sport, where they're just so focused on surviving to 40 and retiring. But he seemed to really enjoy life. You know, they see him with his girlfriends. But also at the end, I asked all my friends for documentary recommendations and all the my guy friends said Senna. So I have visions of them all sitting across Ireland and beyond, crying on their couches. Silent tears. Because you can't, you can't help but be moved by it. But at the end, when Alain comes out to carry the coffin. So the Alain Prost, the French race car driver that had had the rivalry with him from the beginning, is a Paul Bearer on, on his funeral. Yes. And it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. The look on his face. There's a, a cutaway shot to his face when he realises that Senna has crashed so badly and that it may be fatal. And 
I just can't imagine what that man felt at that time because there was a respect there. They really Absolutely. were the best of enemies, like you know. There were, there were the, you know, if you searched all around the world for the person who's most like you, that was him. Even though it is only an hour and forty minutes ish long, you do feel like you know Ayrton Senna so well, and that is down to the director and the magic that he weaved into this. It is stunning, and the access to footage, yeah, family holidays and. Home movies and all yeah. of that. The other thing I really like about this is the Marlboro and the Rotmans advertising. And I know, it's I was so fixed <laughs> in a place and time, you know, and that whole rivalry between Senna and Prost, if it happened now, it would be like Team Senna, Team Prost. You know, you could see the t shirts and the hats, and it's just so set at a particular time in a particular place. And it does it eventually so moves into sports gear and um, yeah. sports brands and Goodyear tires. Yeah, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah. It's great. It's funny. And that was a really good decision to make, not to make it into a movie, because it wouldn't have... No. It's so unbelievable. Like, at one point, he goes from 14th position in the race to win it, to come first. And you just... He was stunning. Mm. He They talk about his intellect and his genius, and it's just... It makes it all the more tragic. It's a beautiful film. And a lot of documentaries, you're watching two steps removed from the action, whereas this takes away... The, the interview where pe- someone's talking about someone else or about a situation, that's all gone. You're actually living it. You're yeah. reliving it. If you like this, there's a couple of things that you might like. One of them that you might like is the film Rush, which... <laughs> so Chris Hemsworth is in this and he also has great hair. <laughs> <laughs> the Two Escobars oh, yeah. is a good one. Um, Freedom's Fury, that's about the 1956 Olympic men's polo semi-final. That's a really good one if, if you have time to watch that. When We Were Kings with uh, Muhammad Ali is very good. Yeah. And I heard that the... Is it the same director who has um, his new project is a movie on Diego Maradona? But that would be something else. Yeah, this director is amazing. He always kind of seems to document underdogs or people that go against the system. Yeah. So, and Amy was good and in, in a quite a similar yeah. style. Still not as compelling for me. Really? Yeah, I liked it a lot, but yeah. I thought Senna just broke the mold yeah. on this type of documentary. When is a good time to watch it? Anytime. I think it's a really good thing to watch when the temperatures are low because if you have a beating heart, uh, it'll be beating faster and ultimately when you look at Senna's gorgeous brown eyes, the temperature will certainly <laughs> rise for you. Uh, no, but genuinely speaking, it's it's a roller coaster from start to finish. It's very intense and um, it's just it very... Yeah, it doesn't yeah. pause, it doesn't let you off. Yeah. And despite the fact that it is very sad... When he goes back to Brazil and they have a ticker tape parade, um, you begin to realise that he's much loved and that is the reason why it is actually uplifting. And it's a celebration of his life. So then I do feel like it's one you could watch to be uplifted. Yeah, and you probably will watch it more than once. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thank you. This has been Docs That Rock with Sherida Darcy. And Tracy Ferguson. Goodbye. <laughs> We're going to do goodbye to you. We can't decide how to end the podcast, so we were having a discussion and we had made an attempt and it had failed. We turned off the Zoom H5 and it said on the screen, goodbye, see you. So we decided. Yeah, it says that every time you turn it off. Yeah. yeah. So we've decided that that's how we're going to end this one. So, so goodbye. See you.